0: good to be with you again. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, I'll read it in a minute, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to follow along if, if that's your thing. Now, I think it was in Harper's Magazine. I didn't write down where this reference was. It was a few years ago, but there was a study I read, and the results of the study were fascinating. It said that um, of the people surveyed and this was, in this case, professor, university professors, 94% of the university professors thought they were doing better than average in their teaching capacity. 94%, so this was an outstanding uh, university, at least according to how they perceive themselves. Now, the survey went on to interview and and, and ask questions of high school seniors, of which I have one in my very own household, though she was not interviewed. Of one million high school seniors surveyed, 70% thought that they were above average in leadership ability, and only 2% of those, one million, thought they were below. Same group, in terms of getting along with others, All, all of the students surveyed thought that they were above average, 60% thought that they were in the top 10% of those who got along great, got along with everyone, and 25% thought that they were in the top 1%. So what do you conclude from that? Well, probably a lot of things to conclude from that, but at least this, a lot of the people surveyed. Uh, both professors and students are wrong about how they compare with others. There are lots of people who are surveyed that are self-deceived. Now, it'd be easy to laugh, I, that's egghead university professors, it's high school kids. But I think if they asked us, we, we would maybe fit somewhere on that spectrum. And if we are deceived about something like this, about how we get along with others, how we're doing in our jobs, how much more then When it comes to things like spiritual issues, when it comes to how we understand things like uh, knowing and understanding God and his work. And so this morning, as we look at this passage in in John, I want us to listen and to respond to the Lord as he's speaking to us from this passage in terms of self-deception, and ask ourselves, it's easy in these thinking, to think, oh, I know someone who's really self-deceived. Okay, you can do that, but really I want you to think about yourself. Am I that person? And am I a little bit self-deceived? And so we're gonna use this passage to look at that, particularly as it stands with our relationship to God and, and, and walking with God and our expectations of what the Lord does. And we wanna see ourselves better, we wanna see our lives better, and we really want to find hope as we're following the Lord. And we're going to do that really looking at the lens through, uh, of two uh, people in this passage. One, the guy who is healed, and we're going to read about him. And then the second one, the opponents of Jesus, who are in this passage called the Jews, but they don't mean that kind of in the stinky way that people will sometimes talk about Jews. They just mean the uh, religious people. Okay, so hear it through that lens. Not that you hear it through a lens, hear it through that filter. All right, John chapter 5, verse 1, the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in the Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, "Do you want to be healed?" The sick man answered him, "Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool and when the water stirred up and while I'm going another step's down before me." Jesus said to him, "Get up, take your bed and walk." And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed, and he walked. Now, that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who's the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help these next few minutes. Jesus, please do bless to our hearing, our receiving, the invading even of our conscience and consciousness, your very presence by the power of your word read and preached. We ask for your Holy Spirit to descend in a fresh, making alive kind of way. That both preacher and hearer and all of us involved in this learning encounter would learn from you, the great teacher. And that we would be challenged and that we would be healed where we need to be healed. And we ask this with hope and expectation and great need. Amen. All right, so thinking about self-deception, the first grid we want to look at, the first example is the man that Jesus heals. Okay, so looking at his example and how he responds and wanting to think about our own lives. So, Jesus being a good churchman attends the religious feast in Jerusalem. And while he's there, he comes to this pool called Bethesda. That was thought to, and maybe it actually happened, we don't really know, was, was medicinal and even healing in nature, that if you were dipped into the pool, that somehow there was this not just natural, but maybe even a supernatural occurrence that happened. And there was not a lot of explanation. A later tradition thought that maybe an angel stirred up the water uh, and, it, and then the first person who got in would get healed. All right, and there's actually maybe some of the passages, some of the, your Bible translations have that in there. Um, when I lived in Ukraine, there was an idea, and it wasn't tied in religiously, but if you went in the winter down to the river and broke the ice and got in and just swam in the water for a little bit, this would keep you healthy and strong by invigorating your, your nervous system and your, uh, all the, the things that are latent in you that would help you. Be healed, And I, I did this, and I was healthy and fine. I also lost a lot of weight, and it was a little bit crazy. But that's, that's the kind of thing that's going on. There's this tradition uh, of healing in the water. And so here there were lots of folks who were sick, and not just sick, kind of like cough sick, but they were paralyzed. They were disabled, and they were gathered in hopes of being healed somehow. And Jesus went there to be with them. Now it says there were a lot of people who were there with a lot of different uh, infirmities and sicknesses and things that disabled them. But there was one guy in particular, he's probably paralyzed, the text isn't 100% clear, but it says that he had been there 38 years, going on four decades. Seemingly he had been waiting, hoping, longing to be restored. He wanted to walk again. And Jesus sees him and asks him, in what, if you read through the Gospels, you might recognize as kind of a pattern of Jesus not necessarily being subtle. <laughs> Maybe not even necessarily being polite, not exactly a southern gentleman, just being very direct and blunt, right? And he looks at the guy and says, bro, do you want to even be healed? It's very direct and it almost might seem like an insult. He doesn't offer to heal him. He just asks the simple question, why are you here? Do you want what this offers or is something else going on it's almost like maybe this guy had kind of become an institution at Bethesda he had always been there and Jesus asking this question should kind of startle us a little bit it's like seeing a starving person at a restaurant and saying hey you want to eat or what just very kind of arresting. arresting well, why did Jesus ask this well The guy had been there a long time, a lifetime. There are many folks in this room who are probably not even 38. Can you imagine just waiting inches away from what you think might be healing you for 38 years and it not happened? He also, I think, Jesus asked, maybe in spite of the guy being paralyzed, being uh, at a healing pool, there was a sense in which maybe he perceived the guy didn't want really Healing and the responsibility that would put on him once he was mobile again. Maybe this guy, sad as it is to say so, got some satisfaction, some identity from being, quote, unquote, the guy down at the pool, the guy who was paralyzed, the guy who had this very tragic-seeming story would not be helped. And so he kind of, just kind of in a perverse way, maybe wrapped himself in that. And I wonder, have you ever known anyone who is like that? Maybe there's a problem in their life and it's uh, just seemingly so solvable a problem, but one they hold on to, whether it's a strained relationship, whether it's some kind of series of decisions that they make. It just seems like this, this problem that they keep holding on to and talking about is so solvable, but oddly... they never never seem to get rid of it because it seems like, as you observe, it's very comforting for them to be put in the position of being the victim. I don't know, maybe that's you. I I, I don't know, but whatever the case, in, in the case with the guy here at the pool, it wasn't clear to Jesus anyway that this guy was putting all of his cards on the table. And indeed, he doesn't really answer Jesus directly, does it? He doesn't say, Duh! obviously, man, I've not just been wasting my time here. I want to be healed. Instead, what's he do? Well, I need help, and there's really no one here to help me. Now, let's be fair. Maybe there's some deep sadness here on the part of this guy. He has been physically broken, and now maybe he is socially broken, and he's just kind of got such narrow blinders in terms of his world he doesn't really know what else to say or do. But maybe this guy is a kvetch, right? For, you know, that, that, that Yiddish term where a kvetch is just someone who really likes to blame other people all the time. And that's where you, they really get traction in conversation. Um, and they're never really responsible for what's going on. They're really never self-aware about how they fit into the story of their own life. And look, I'm priming the pump here for us to look at ourselves. So get ready. But look at what Jesus does as he's having this conversation with the guy. He could have got ticked off. He could have said, man, been there, done that. I don't want to hear this. I'm so tired of you making excuses. Or, you know, he, doesn't, he doesn't plot any further. What's he do? Verse 8, get up, take your mat, and walk. Grace steamrolls into that situation. Love overpowers the excuses. Christ heals him. No more discussion. No more questions, it's mercy, it is love, it is healing. For the first time in four decades, this dude can get up and get out from this place where he's been. It's good news. I want you to remember that because that's where we're going to end, thinking about who is this God who we appeal to? Who is Jesus? He is one who pursues us in grace. But look how this conversation, look how this relationship begins to turn and keep moving down. What happens? Well, the man goes along with the mat. We're told several times that it's on the Sabbath, and he runs into a group of folks who are spiritual, who are, relig- who are uh, religious. They must know who he is. Oh, there's Ephraim, right? The dude who's always down at the pool, and he's walking. What's Ephraim doing? Walking around. They knew that he was the guy from uh, Bethesda, maybe their grandparents or their uncles. had talked about him. And what do they say when they see a guy who's normally at the pool waiting to be healed walking around with his mat? Why are you breaking the Sabbath? Why are you so... Why are you breaking rules that God has given? Why are you crashing our categories of how to walk with the Lord when you're literally walking on a day and carrying stuff that we don't think you should be doing that? And how does this guy respond how does the man who's healed been respond he says well the, the the guy who healed me he he told me to carry it it's not my fault right now what he what what could this guy have said how could he have responded he could say guys I don't, I don't know about all this stat, sabbath stuff but y'all I was lame and now I'm walking this is good news right Kind of like the the blind man in John chapter 10. But what does he do? Well, it sounds like he kind of shifts. He kind of dodges a little bit. He blames. Remember, first time he did conversation. conversation, there's no one here to help me. Now the healer set me up, right, to break the commandments. And even in verse 15, if you're following in your your, um, Bibles, when Jesus goes back to visit him again, to minister to his soul, the guy immediately leaves, tells the opponents, the people who are all twisted up and wrapped around the axle about this guy carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And they said, hey, remember that question you asked me? It was Jesus. Jesus Christ. or They probably didn't say Christ. Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one who healed me and who did this. He, it seems like he kind of rats him out. Now look, a little bit, some of this is Speculative. But this guy who's been healed is either clueless to the point of being offensive or he is self-deceived in such a way that he only sees the world in a way where he is not really responsible. And others are the problem. Others have to bear responsibility. Now, let's think about that in terms of our life, too, because let's be honest. We can be a little bit narrow, have some blinders in how we see life, that we kind of put ourselves at the center of the universe. We can be a little bit deluded, too. We can be deceived. We can convince ourselves that spiritually when it comes to following Christ, very often um, don't we just kind of punt on assessing ourselves. You know, my, my problem is not really that I have a temper. It's not that I drink too much, it's not that I spend too much, it's not that I'm kind of a pill when I'm driving. But my problem is that someone, somewhere along the way, has let me down. Someone has wronged me and kind of painted me into this corner such that I respond this way. Someone has not been there for me. So maybe my behavior is iffy, but I'm justified, right? You blame the government, you blame your parents, you blame your spouse, you blame your children. And maybe, if we wouldn't be quite this bold, but if we are in the, the comfort of our own thoughts, we think the same thing about God. That God has put me in this situation. Granted, I, I, God, I could be a better Christian, I could be more gracious, I could be more patient, I could be less Selfish, I could be less apathetic about these things, but Lord, you really did order my life in such a way that it's kind of fallen out like this. It's been too hard, it's been too boring. And so we take these circumstances of our life and we use them to let ourselves off the hook as an excuse not to mature as a way to see ourselves it's kind of safe. It's kind of like something that happened to my uh, a friend of mine. He's a pastor now in Virginia. He's actually probably in his 60s. But when he was in kindergarten, way back in the day, he was playing out on the playground during recess with one of his friends who was also in kindergarten. And they were just kind of running, along, jumping. And then all of a fr- su- sudden, his friend just stopped, just kind of got really serious. And pretty soon, the tears started coming. And he was crying. And then he was kind of crying loud enough where the teacher came and asked him, and my friend's name is Mike, and, and Mike knew that he, you know, he wanted the teacher to come too because he wasn't sure what happened. He wanted to find out what happened happening because his friend wouldn't say anything. He's just crying and crying and crying. And finally, um, the teacher said, runs up to the little boy. He's crying and said, what's wrong? And Mike's listening. He wants to know too. And to his horror, he sees his friend point to Mike and kind of sob and say, Mike pooped in my pants. Obviously, he didn't poop in his pants, but see, he was blame shifting in a way that's ridiculous. And we can laugh and we should laugh. That's kind of funny. But there's a sense in which we can and do the same thing. And when we do it, when we blame shift, when we're not willing to take responsibility, when we're not willing to look at our own life and see ways in which we could respond by faith and action to the Lord, we stagnate. We're missing the fullness of the healing that Christ gives us. And we don't just practice this deception on viewing ourselves either, do we? Look at the opponents of Jesus, right? They see this guy who's now walking. And instead of saying, man, Ephraim, been hanging out at that pool for so many years. And now the fulfillment of the Sabbath is right in front of us. This guy who had worked in his brokenness is now resting in his healing. Praise God. Yeah, he's carrying a mat, but we, we celebrate this. Rest, restoration. The, the, the point of the Sabbath is to, re, to revivify and to help humanity. Instead of saying all those things, which would have been completely legitimate, it's almost as if they harass him. They bust his chops on fine points of the law and his experience in walking with God. And they do this for... Breaking their understanding of the Sabbath. They miss, they ignore the larger purposes of God in healing, in saving, in bringing in His kingdom. And they blow it off because it doesn't fit their experience. It doesn't fit their very narrow expectations of how and when God will work in healing, in showing grace. They were self deceived when seeing the work of God and others around them because it had to look a certain way, it had to fit within what they were wanting. And the challenge for us is to ask ourselves, as we're wanting to kind of get out of our head a little bit together, is that us? Is that me? Are we, do we have that tendency? Are we thankful? Are we even perceptive and glad for the work of God that's going on around us, among us, in the lives of others? Or are we kind of dull and skeptical and will only receive into the vein of our experience and interpretation what we've already carved out, and we just don't make room for others? Um, man, I'll just tell you that sometimes pastors are gossips, and um, we can be as, as critical and, and scorning um, very often of each other as anyone else, right? Um, we turns out we need the gospel too. We need all that Jesus offers us in terms of mercy and healing as well. And I can remember there'd be a couple of us and we'd get together, and there was a guy who was maybe he, you know, he was a Presbyterian minister, and but we'd get together. He was he carried himself differently than us, and he was a little bit more uptight, at least we thought, than us, and so. We just always kind of looked at him and interpreted him and talked about him as kind of a goober. And no matter what good thing was happening in his ministry or what he did or what, you know, wonderful thing he said in talking about the Lord, we would always just kind of ride it off skeptically. And eventually one of us pumped the brakes on that. It's like... <laughs> Could it be the case that actually he's united to Jesus too? And he maybe, you know, we're not cool like him or he's not cool like us, but the Lord is still at work. Are we willing to recognize that maybe God has called this guy and is doing something good? And so we had to kind of back off the scorn and cynicism. It was much easier to complain instead of recognize, you know what? God is not bound by how I would work and do things. Grace happens sometimes in small ways. Do you? See yourself maybe in that same disposition, that same kind of starchiness that I was talking about in myself, that there's someone maybe in your life who has been repeatedly kind of a screw up, kind of messing up, kind of just stepping in it over and over again. And so much so that you just expect that out of them. And I'm talking about someone who's a Christian, someone in the Lord. And then finally, when it looks like maybe there's just some good momentum in their life moving out of the same mistakes that kind of put them in the rut they are you're you're just more inclined to say eh, give it another week give it another two weeks they're going to mess up again instead of praying for wanting to walk alongside what maybe God is really doing it's really a matter of are you hopeful and believe in the Holy Spirit are you cynical and safe I love being cynical and safe but Jesus rose from the dead, so I didn't have to be there. So what's our hope? How do we get outside of our heads? How do we even get outside of this whole nexus of cynicism to move beyond the walls of self-deception and sin? First, this is what we're doing. This is why we preach. This is why we gather together. Recognize that you, that we are liable and capable of self-deception, that we all have blind spots. That's why we can't do follow the Lord just by ourselves like we're on... Gilligan's Island, right? And even they had one another. We, we need each other for this. See, it's easy to be fooled into thinking that you can't be fooled. And I think one of the particular traps in our own age is the trap of authenticity. Very often we say, I just want someone who's Authentic. Someone who's real, who just speaks from the spleen, right? They just let it out. And we just hear maybe some of the worst things that someone would say or some of the most candid or honest that haven't been run through a filter. I'm just talking about within the church. And sometimes what we will call authentic is just saying, is really just not sanctified, not thoughtful, not um, having the balm of grace applied to it, not having... Charity. But most importantly, most importantly, it's not just a matter of seeing our own tendency to self-deception. We need to recognize who it is that we're dealing with. Who is this God, Christ, who brings healing, who brings forgiveness and renewal to us? You see, the man on the mat really was only partially healed when his legs and his ability to walk was restored. Jesus did what? He didn't just leave him there. He continued to seek this dude out. And if there's anything else that you get from this, notice who is Jesus in this passage. He walks into the place where people need healing. He brings grace in spite of excuses, in spite of blame shifting. He brings his power, but he doesn't just kind of roll it in there like a grenade and let it blow up and go away. He continues to follow up. He, begin, he continues to pursue this guy. And he even tells him, go and sin no more. Comes alongside of him. And that is the Jesus that you and I follow. That is the living and true God. The one who, in spite of our tendency to be self-deceived, sometimes individually, sometimes collectively, tell ourselves we're okay, or at least we're okay in comparison to them. He doesn't leave us there. He continues to press, to heal, to wash and to cleanse. Will you receive and rest in that healing today and every day? Let's pray and ask for the power to do so. Lord, by your grace and by your seeking love, we do find freedom. We can find freedom. The freedom from the tyranny of having our own little ghost religion that looks a lot like Christianity and uses a lot of the same language but doesn't really have the substance. To free us from doubt, deception, having a narrow view of religion that makes no room for the working of your spirit which does bring life and change to lives of people that we would never expect. But man, how great is that? Because that means that you looped us in too. Because someone, didn't, someone somewhere didn't expect it of us that we would respond to your grace. But here we sit. Lord, Deep and wide is your love. Thank you for pouring it into us. By the work of your Spirit, would it extend out of us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond.